It's Tuesday, October 29th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, lawmakers are debating whether to officially recognize the Armenian Genocide, which happened over 100 years ago. We'll give you the history here and explain why this has taken so long. Then, a White House official who was on the call between President Trump and the Ukrainian president finally speaks behind closed doors. And finally, why the new precious metal du jour is actually super tough. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story today is about how the U.S. Congress recognizes genocides. You may have seen that tweet from Kim Kardashian West today, asking her 62 million followers to push Congress to recognize the Armenian Genocide of 1915. Kim is of Armenian descent. And Kim's appeal appears likely to pay off, because as we tape today's episode, the House of Representatives was preparing to take that vote, and it's likely to pass. So today we're going to get into what happened in the Armenian Genocide, why it took so long for Congress to recognize it, and what impact the U.S. recognizing genocides, current or past, actually has. Let's get into it by going back to the Ottoman Empire, modern-day Turkey, in 1915. Back then, about 2 million Armenians lived in the mostly Muslim Ottoman Empire. Armenians had been a part of the Ottoman Empire for hundreds of years, But things got really rocky as the Ottoman Empire started to crumble in the early 1900s. In 1915, toward the beginning of World War I, the Ottomans accused the Armenians of helping the enemy, Russia, instead of them. After the Ottoman defeat, the Ottomans blamed Armenians for the loss. Armenian troops were disarmed and slaughtered. It was the start of a brutal, years-long campaign against Armenians as a whole. Civilians had their property taken away and were forced from their homes. Many were killed on the spot. Others were sent to concentration camps and thousands died along the way. Estimates of the number of Armenians killed vary, but they run as high as one and a half million people. The word genocide wasn't a thing back in 1915. The word was coined during World War II, but modern day historians often say what happened to the Armenians was one of the first genocides of the 20th century. U.S. diplomats in the Ottoman Empire witnessed the violence firsthand, as it was happening. The U.S. ambassador to the Ottoman Empire warned the State Department that, quote, a campaign of race extermination is in progress. But the U.S. didn't get involved. And since then, the push in the U.S. to even recognize the Armenian genocide has hit roadblock after roadblock. Why is that? A big part has to do with the fact that Turkey, the modern state that later succeeded the Ottoman Empire, basically denies the Armenian Genocide ever happened. Turkey says they were in a war, and there were killings committed by both sides. Turkey has used a law against insulting Turkishness to arrest its own citizens, who speak out about what happened to the Armenians. Turkey's government has also given other countries the cold shoulder if they considered recognizing the genocide too, including the U.S. Political pressure stopped three recent Armenian genocide bills in Congress during the presidencies of Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. The reasons why politicians have stayed away from this topic have shifted. That Turkey's too important of an ally in the Middle East, or that recognizing the genocide would complicate relations between Armenia and Turkey. Before today's House vote, Massachusetts Democrat Jim McGovern had strong words about the U.S.'s history of refusing to recognize the Armenian genocide. This is a dark stain on our human rights record. 
the United States should stand four square for human rights. Anything short of that sends exactly the wrong message to abusers around the globe. But the politics around this issue have changed. Turkey is still a NATO ally, but its decision to invade northern Syria earlier this month and target the U.S.'s Kurdish allies there has really soured relations with the U.S. In fact, on top of today's vote recognizing the Armenian genocide, Congress is considering passing sanctions on Turkey for its actions in Syria. So these two issues have clearly become intertwined. So what does it mean if Congress says, okay, yes, it happened? Genocide became a punishable crime by international standards in 1951, when the UN Genocide Convention went into force. But the treaty doesn't apply retroactively. So don't expect any legal action against Turkey here. But supporters of recognizing the genocide say there are still reasons to do this. Some genocide scholars say it's important to recognize a genocide after the fact, because continuing to deny it effectively kills the memory of those who died. There's also an argument that it harms the perpetrators of genocides by denying them a chance to learn from their past. So recognizing something that happened even a century ago could make the world safer for the next century. So what's the skim? Congress is voting this afternoon on whether to recognize and condemn the Armenian genocide of 1915. If they pass it, it will follow in the footsteps of dozens of countries and 49 individual U.S. states who've already recognized it. Advocates say this brings closure to the victims and families and strengthens the case that the U.S. is a defender of justice and human rights. But making this move when tensions are already high between the U.S. and Turkey could create diplomatic headaches. And even some supporters of recognizing the genocide have said, if anger at Turkey for its actions in Syria were the reason for this move, it could send the wrong message that the U.S. only cares about acknowledging mass atrocities when it's politically convenient. Coming up, Capitol Hill was bustling today after members of Congress leading an impeachment inquiry into the president heard from the first sitting White House official on the matter. That's next. At The Skim, it's important for us to test out our monthly Smarter Pack email before it hits your inbox. Here's the sound of 10 HQers test driving our upcoming November pack. Okay, that wasn't as dramatic as we originally thought it would be. But in under five minutes, our team was able to buy the best products that'll help them get through this holiday season. So if you want to be like these HQers and start shopping smarter each month, it all starts by adding Smarter Pack to your inbox. Tis the season. Sign up now by heading over to theskim.com slash smarter. That's theskim with two M's dot com slash smarter. The person to know today is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. He testified behind closed doors on Capitol Hill today about President Trump's phone call with Ukraine's president. It's the call that launched the whole impeachment inquiry, and this guy, Vindman, was on the line. So who is he? Vindman was actually born in Ukraine and came to the U.S. when he was three years old. He's since served in the U.S. Army as a diplomat, and now he's the top Ukraine expert on the White House National Security Council. Which means not only does Vindman work at the White House, he had a front row seat during the July phone call between Trump and Ukraine's president. That's why the committees conducting the impeachment inquiry wanted to talk to him. And this might be surprising, but Vindman actually agreed. Vindman became the first current White House official to testify, 
arriving on Capitol Hill in his military uniform. Like we said before, Vindman's testimony was behind closed doors, so we don't know exactly what he said. But the media did get his opening statement ahead of time, so we have an idea. And there are some big news items in there. First, Vindman is not the whistleblower, meaning he's not the guy who first reported the call to the intelligence community's inspector general. But he did report his concerns to the NSC's lawyers. Not once, but twice. Vindman said in his opening statement that he thought the call was improper. He was worried about the implications for the U.S. government's support of Ukraine and thought it would undermine national security. The other time he reported came a few weeks before the call, after a meeting with Ukraine's Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council. He says that at that meeting, Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the European Union, tried to talk about Ukrainian investigations in exchange for a meeting with Trump. Vindman says he told Sondland that's inappropriate, and then he reported it to NSC lawyers. So Vindman's testimony is big. Even though he didn't use the exact words, he basically says quid pro quo was a thing. And that's what the impeachment inquiry is all about. He's not the first official to say that. So the inquiry is picking up steam. But Vindman's testimony wasn't the only story taking over Capitol Hill today. After weeks of resisting calls from Republicans, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said yesterday there's going to be a vote to affirm the impeachment hearings and determine what any public hearings will look like. That vote's going to be on Thursday, Halloween. Trick or treat! The cost of Brexit just went up. Hundreds of thousands of coins. You see, the United Kingdom was planning on leaving the European Union on Thursday, October 31st, and their national treasury wanted to mark the occasion with a commemorative coin. They've done this before, to mark royal weddings like the recent marriage of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, and the births of royal babies like the future king Prince George. To commemorate the October 31st Brexit, the national treasury minted thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands, of 50 pence coins. That's about 64 US cents each. But yesterday, the EU granted the UK's request for a Brexit extension. They're actually calling it a flextension. So the leave-by date is now January 31st. As if Brexit didn't already feel like a total meltdown, now the National Treasury has to literally melt down all those coins that say the old date. But first, members of Parliament voted in favor of holding early elections in December. So far, all systems appear to be go. Which means, if Prime Minister Boris Johnson gets his way, a new group of elected officials can get the Brexit deal over the finish line. So maybe they'll make a new commemorative coin for that. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from the Periodic Table of Elements. For a long time, the most valuable precious metal on Earth was considered to be gold. You may recognize it. But for the last year, gold has been trading off the top spot with another less recognized metal called palladium. It's used in some dental equipment, electronics, and yes, jewelry. But palladium's big claim to fame? It helps make pollutants in your car's exhaust system less dangerous. Turns out, thanks in part to a massive shortage due to zealous new laws curbing pollution in cars, palladium prices have soared 
In the last month, palladium took a solid lead over gold. And now its price is at an all-time high, at more than $1,800 per ounce. That paired with its anti-pollution capabilities makes it the real MVP of precious metals. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.